It's the Do Politics Better podcast. I'm Brian Lewis. And I'm Sky David. Well, it feels like Friday because we started our work week on Sunday this week, but it is Thursday and we have gone back to doing a ton of business on Wednesdays. Going back. Don't you think we've been doing Wednesday work for the last month? It just feels like Wednesday just gets loaded down with so much work. Yeah, but last Thursday, the house budget did last for, you know, four, five, six hours. So tons of stuff happened yesterday. Again, today is Thursday. So yesterday there were just bunch of really substantive bills that moved in both chambers, to be honest. Yeah, we get to the building in the morning. I look down at my watch and it's five o'clock and we had had numerous meetings that we were scheduled. Talk about the budget and where we are in the budget as negotiations begin, but we were also just flying building to building, getting into committees The House is hearing Senate bills. The Senate is hearing House bills. There's concurrence votes. And at the end of the day on Wednesday, it just felt like a ton of bills got delivered over to Governor Cooper for his signature or his veto. That remains to be seen. But yeah, where do we even begin, Sky? Let's just go in chronological order as far as how things happened. So let's start with house rules and then the bills that were in house rules went to the floor yesterday. So a bill that we have been following on the podcast, criminal justice reform, went through house rules with a lot of debate and then to the house floor and kind of i would say these two bills went together criminal justice reform and the jjack recommendation for raising the age of juveniles who are in court yeah so senator danny Britt makes an appearance in house rules he's there for two bills start us off with senate bill 300 it's it's a omnibus reform criminal justice reform bill which is on brand for Senator Britt. He has been working on criminal justice reform legislation since he got to the Senate back in 2017. There was one change in it that was discussed in House rules that Representative Torbett ran the amendment for Senator Don Davis, who had met with some sheriffs. Last time this bill made a stop in committee, there was a change to the body cam language because the Sheriff's Association decided they were not okay with it. So Don Davis, and I think they mentioned some other folks also met with a group of stakeholders and worked out some compromise language for body cam to allow the body cam footage to be released to a member of the family. Mm So that was kind of where the change in the bill came from. And so that amendment was accepted into the bill. And then that's the bill that went to the floor. And it has various changes. And one of them is just creating a task force to update our criminal code because it is confusing and can be really tough to read. So that would look at all of our criminal code to chapter 14 of 
the general statutes, going through that and making it more consistent, more readable, and just flow better. That is something that they have tried to do in past sessions, but it just hasn't made its way through. Yeah. And then the bill that followed was the juvenile justice recommendations about how we deal with small children who are in our criminal justice system. Senator Britt has been, again, passionate about this. He, he has often said that, you know, a kid who believes in Santa Claus and the Tooth Fairy should not be on the stand, the kid back in the room coloring in a coloring book one minute, and then he's brought in or she is brought in in front of a judge and a jury and, and all the lawyers. He wanted to reform that. And it seems simple, right? But it got complicated as we were talking about some changes that were made from the Senate over to the House, and it had some contentious moments in the committee. That's right, and also contentious moments on the floor. I think the debate on this bill took an hour or so on the House floor yesterday afternoon because there was an amendment to change it back to that age 10 cutoff. But the PCS that was in-house rules had that change from it, it would raise the age from six to eight instead of six to 10 for a child. And we talked to Billy Lassiter, who is head of the juvenile justice division over at DPS. And he said that the it would only affect about eight kids. It would affect eight kids a year. So... You really are scooping up most of the kids with the six to eight change, but a lot of folks thought that the six to eight change wasn't enough. And so that's what you really heard from Democrats on the floor yesterday. And Representative Ted Davis said, hey, I feel I'm stuck between a rock and a hard place here because you could go either way. Mm -hmm. And um, Representative Sarah Stevens, I think, was the one who was really passionate about that 8 to 10. And it's only for certain serious felonies, all misdemeanors for children who are ages 8 to 10 would still be a counseling program, that sort of thing. And talking to the lobbyists, I think the general consensus was stand down on this PCS change. Yes, eight children are left behind. I think the idea is we'll come back and get those eight kids later once we make the case. But let's save the thousands of kids who are directly affected and will be positively affected by this legislation. I don't know, again, not working the bill, don't know if, if you know, communications were to Democrats that they need to try to amend. And, and they certainly put up a fight. We, we heard a long amendment uh, discussion yesterday off the House floor. At the end, although Democrats wanted to, in their view, improve the bill, they all voted for or mostly voted for the amendment. The amendment fails. At the end, everyone voted for the bill except for one legislator, Representative Larry Pittman from Cabarrus County. Moving along in yesterday's order of events, we then were in Senate Judiciary where a new PCS of the medical marijuana bill was released 
and her debate, and it was for discussion only, so they haven't voted on this. And when we saw the notice go out, we were like, wait, hasn't that already gone through Senate Judiciary? So it was interesting that they heard it in that same committee again, but they are really trying to ensure that folks know what's in this bill and have adequate time to debate the substance of the bill. I have never seen a bill take such a circuitous path through a legislative process, especially when it's the leadership. Senator Bill Raymond, the powerful rules chair who's been on the podcast, he is really putting his own bill through a process that is very transparent, it is deliberate. And he even made an announcement yesterday. Yeah, this was really interesting. He said, this doesn't have anything to do with this particular bill. I just want to make a point here. I think that when we send out new PCSs, proposed committee substitutes, to the committee members, it should be available for the public to see. And so the public can then come to committee the next day prepared. And Senator Sanderson said, I agree. I think that that should be something that we do. So I don't know if moving forward in the Senate, that is something they will change the rule or amend the rules on that or just make it available. But that would be great for us and others who track legislation. The Senate floor had pretty big bills as well yesterday. A gun bill made it through the Senate. We talked about this last week. This is the pistol permit system. If you are to own a pistol, you have to make a permit application to your local sheriff. Your sheriff reviews your criminal record. They may even call you in for an interview. The criteria is a little mushy. And then you're given that permit and you can then buy your pistol and you can hold that pistol. There has been some debate during COVID, as we said last week, some sheriffs said they were delaying the processing of these applications, which by the way, at a time when gun ownership was on the rise, Some said that they were suspending this process. So it really made its way up to the General Assembly, and we saw this legislation. It passed the House. It goes over to the Senate, where it has a debate. And Democrats put up a defense yesterday. Their defense is that we need sheriffs kind of as a buffer to catch some of the criminal activity, misdemeanors, domestic violence. It is a buffer for this national data bank, which does capture your criminal record. It goes to Governor Cooper. Will he sign it? Will he sign it? Will he veto it? Will he just let it become law? He's going to veto it. He's going to veto it. Yeah. He vetoed another gun bill earlier in the session that was much less controversial. The other big bill that I think got a lot of buzz is that sports gambling moved forward out of the Senate chamber. This was not along party lines. And it had some political observers saying, 
has the Hastert rule fallen in the Senate? And we've talked about this before. Hastert rule is you go behind caucus doors, Republicans do, and then they need a majority of their caucus to green light a bill to bring it to the Senate floor. When you look at the vote and you see how many Republicans voted against this gambling bill, it does make sense to say, how did this get out of caucus? You and I were talking about this as we were coming back from the General Assembly this morning. It is my contention that the caucus very well could have said, yes, this bill can go to the Senate floor. But I bet the discussion behind closed doors was, even though it can go to the Senate floor, by the way, Senator Jim Perry, we're going to vote no on the bill. Either we don't believe in it or the politics back home just aren't going to allow us to do that. And I do think that this bill is a heavy lift. It's going to be a heavy lift in the House as well. So it has an uphill battle ahead of it, but it made it out of the Senate, I think, 26 to 21. And like you said, not along party lines. Not. Let's talk about where we are in the budget process. We noted last week that there would be non-formal negotiations happening and now we are in the formal portion of this process. On Tuesday, the Senate appointed their conferees. The House appointed theirs on Wednesday. Both chambers have appointed their subcommittee chairs and then also all of the Democrats who voted for each chamber's budget. So it's nine Democrats in the House. How many Democrats in the Senate? Four. Four. Okay. So the conference committee is in charge of negotiating the differences between the two chambers. The House will defend the House position. The Senate defends the Senate position. And this is where you see a lot of the trading, merging, compromising, even excluding provisions that were in one chamber or the other. First step in this negotiation is at the subcommittee level. You look at both subcommittee budgets and you see what's in one budget versus the other. Uh, And there's plenty of things that are going to be in both budgets that you don't need to discuss. But any line item that maybe is in the House budget and not the Senate budget, the House is going to argue for their position, why they need it, and the Senate can argue for or against it. And then things that they cannot agree on, those go up to the big chairs to make a decision on. We have heard that there is a rough timeline that the budget writers would like to see happen. Senator Brent Jackson said they're looking at two weeks. We have heard the rumor that they're looking at that second week of September. So to finish conferee, the conferee process. I've also heard that they could be working through the weekend next weekend. So depending on whether they do that or not, you may look at a different timeline, but we're suiting up for mid-September, maybe end of September. Senator Don Davis is on the conference committee for the Senate. He voted for the Senate budget. He is a Democrat. We had the pleasure of sitting down with him this week. The Do Politics Better podcast is supported by the North Carolina Travel Industry Association. Founded in 1955, NCTIA has a distinguished history of partnering with the North Carolina General Assembly to strengthen and preserve tourism in North Carolina. 
Visit nctia.travel for more information on how you can support your local tourism destination and the thousands of North Carolina jobs it creates. Senator Don Davis, welcome to the podcast. First, can you just tell us a little bit about your district? What do you think makes your district special? Absolutely. I love Eastern North Carolina and have the fortunate opportunity of representing Eastern North Carolina um, in the North Carolina Senate. Uh, when I look specifically then at my district, um, we are the heartbeat of the East in many ways. Um, when I think about Pitt County, um, when you look at health, uh, we actually service about a 29-county healthcare network that wow. expand across Eastern North Carolina. When we think about East Carolina University, um, we're pulling not only a great deal of students from the East, but uh, across North Carolina and, and even beyond. Um, so, and then when you get out into the county side, uh, we're definitely uh, an agriculture-based county, community. Mm -hmm. um, not only Pitt County, um, but when we head on over to Greene County, where I was uh, born and raised, mm -hmm. actually. Um, agriculture is rich. rich. Mm -hmm. I grew up um, working, um, cropping tobacco, and many mm -hmm. other things. Mm -hmm. um, so uh, I just love the community, the diversity of the community, and obviously uh, the thing that makes our district it's just the people, great Southern people, and mm -hmm. I consider myself hopefully a Southern gentleman. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> I think everyone would agree with that. Let's talk about your roots in Eastern North Carolina. Prime and tobacco, you were raised by your grandmother, and as, as studious as you are now in the Senate in high school, you had a different reputation. You, you like to cut up a little bit. Well, that was actually before high school. I had to straighten it out eventually. Okay, before high school. Okay, we're, we're, we're going. That was well before high school. Okay, tell us about young Don Davis, which I understand you are about to turn a big birthday later this month. I haven't lived the best half of my life yet. I just want everyone to know that. So that's a big five zero coming up. Yeah, yeah. Little Don Davis. Okay. Here goes. So, at the time I was born. Mm -hmm. My mom was a senior in high school. Okay. My grandmother, um, I just think the world of her, mm -hmm. and she's given so much wisdom and advice along the way. Mm -hmm. um, at the time, um, did well in high school, mm -hmm. but never went beyond high school. My grandfather, um, at the same time, it was part of life. It was just life in Eastern North Carolina. Yeah. He dropped out of high school. Okay. Um, to go on to work on the farm. So my mom comes in and she tells my grandmother what's going on. Mm -hmm. And this awesome person with a lot of wisdom looks at her and says, you're going to have the child and you have not a choice here. You're going to school. This is a person that's not been to college. Yeah. Mm -hmm. And she said, you're going to college because I know education can make a huge difference in your life. And especially now having this child. So my mother went on to finish high school. Um, my grandmother raised me. Um, she went to Bennett College in Greensboro. Bennett Bells. There you go, all the way. Yeah. <laughs> and she... Uh, actually majored in math, mm -hmm. 
and later came back and um, to a job in Procter Gamble, Procter and Gamble in Greenville, and eventually had an opportunity um, to come up to the Triangle um, to IBM to work at IBM, and wow. she went on to retire um, eventually from IBM. Um, That's amazing. Over thirty-five years or yeah. so at yeah. IBM, but we she was in Durham. And actually came back and um, said, okay, mama, I'm ready. And what that meant was she was coming to pick me up. Yeah. So I packed the bags at the time and um, moved to um, Durham. And then actually uh, we eventually moved to Raleigh as she was in her career, getting her career going at IBM. Um, actually was um, in middle school here at um, – uh, Martin, yeah. and eventually from there, uh, we moved out to Irving, Texas. And Irving, Texas uh, is the headquarters. At the time, it was their education and training center for IBM. So that's what actually took us out to Irving, Texas, right. uh, the home of the Cowboys, by the way. Yeah, yeah. And um, I had a wonderful time, graduated from Irving MacArthur, and went on to the Air Force Academy. The power in the story here mm-hmm. is, thank God you don't end the way you start. That's right. Mm-hmm. And when you look at all of the statistics, um, I must admit to you all, I mean, I, I know you have a whole lot of listeners, a whole lot of people tuning in yeah. to the podcast, and, and I have to just totally tell the truth here. Yeah. So little Don, you know, <laughs> wanted to be defiant, and that was at school, but not at home, because yeah. you just didn't play with um, grandma, and um, I I'm remember those, she was tough, right? Sounds she like was. She, she, did, had, she had her. Grandma, grandma had three things that she really instilled in us. Okay. Number one, church was not an option. Got it. Mm-hmm. Non-negotiable. You had to um, go to church, and I'm, I'm fourth-generational Presbyterian, actually Presbyterian minister. Okay. And we would leave the Presbyterian church and go to the Baptist church on Sunday. So, <laughs> so we were in church all day Sunday. <laughs> but I must admit the Presbyterian part of it was the, the shortest part of it. Okay, Exactly right. I remember that as a kid too, yeah. But um, the second thing that was uh, non-negotiable in the household as I was sharing the story of mom, um, she just connected to education and she would always instill in us the value of education and she would say you have to be there you have to show up Mm -hmm. and then that last thing that she would always just continue to harp on is never shy away from putting in an honest day's work yeah i'm gonna share this one story so showed up at the Air Force Academy, and I remember they were going to a training session on how to make your bed. Mm-hmm. And so we're at attention, standing at attention, and they said, watch and pay attention now. Do you understand? Yes, sir. <laughs> and I said, now what you do is you take the sheet, you flip it over the bed, you cut this corner 45 degrees, come down, tuck it under. Do you understand? Yes, sir. Then I said, now this is what we call a military corner. Do you understand that? I said, 
yes, sir. I said, <laughs> Grandma called it a hospital corner. <laughs> <laughs> so the values of Eastern North Carolina live on. <laughs> oh, so good. So good. So going into the military, the Air Force, can you talk about your journey from there in Texas back to North Carolina, kind of where you were during that time period? Absolutely. I, I had the honor of a lifetime to serve our country, um, to go to the Air Force Academy, um, <laughs> to complete the push-ups, and mm -hmm. <laughs> but mm -hmm. seriously learn a lot about leadership and myself along the way. Mm -hmm. I graduated from the Air Force Academy in class of 94, red hot in 94, and actually stayed um, in Colorado Springs for a year, and I was the Southeastern Regional um, Counselor, and what we would do would go out and actually visit, talk to classrooms uh, uh, in terms of uh, students, to share with them about the academy, and did that for a year. I went on to um, go into my primary career field, business administration. Yeah. On the installation, they put into one unit and train you on how to run various businesses, managing the golf course, the commissary, the grocery store type, the lodging, the mm -hmm. rec center, arts and craft, the um, auto hobby shop, and basically uh, um, child care, everything you would imagine wow. that where there's an exchange of money on the installation they put into one unit worked in that job for a while and uh, then the uh, base commander reached out to me and um, at andrews air force base andrews is also kind of the airport for the president mm -hmm. the congressional members um, and the heads of state coming in and out of the united states and if you've seen air mm -hmm. force one and the person in the blue uniform that's um, basically a flight line duty officer. Yeah. So I was um, tapped to do that job for, uh, it was a little over a year, and um, was able to, to just see a lot of, you know, people coming in and out and, um, you know, get to know a lot of our leaders and, and even, you know, really try to understand, you know, leadership from a whole nother level was involved in uh, putting together peace talks at the time wow. between the Secretary of State um, Albright at the time and um, and several of the um, activities that were taking place, NATO missions that were coming into the U.S. Um, so did that job for a while and um, the opportunity of a life really opened up for me. East Carolina University, Detachment yeah. 600. Yeah. I was like, yes! Yeah. So I was able then to come back to North Carolina, and this is an interesting thing. When I came back and I saw that job as a pathway to get back to North Carolina, but hear what happened. Here goes. Okay. So I came back as an assistant professor of aerospace studies. I taught military um, history, national security affairs. I was a training officer. And I came back, and I was in the classroom. Now, keep in mind, I was like, I'm business. Mm -hmm. I'm about mm -hmm. business. Mm -hmm. But this was the pathway of just getting back to North Carolina okay. and Eastern North Carolina. So I went into the classroom, started teaching. And the next thing I know, a bug hit me. Got it. And I was just so inspired by the students mm -hmm. at the university 
and engaging with them and seeing how you could literally shape and mold the future leaders. Mm-hmm. I'm saying I was like the type instructor up on the desk and, you know, because otherwise I realized after the first day when you're teaching military history, that can be a little boring. <laughs> right, right. So I was like, okay, this is what happened, you no, know, in the Gulf yeah. of Tonkin. And, you know, so we made it exciting and I walked away from that experience probably with more than the students. And that bug has now hit me for well over 20 years. Totally walked away from what I thought was the calling for business to really make a difference, I hope and believe, with thousands of students that I've just been blessed to be able to interact and engage with in the classroom. I've been an educator now for over 20 years, went back, um, have undergraduate in social sciences, master's in um, administration uh, from Central Michigan, uh, master's in sociology from East Carolina University, and a doctorate in education wow. as well from East Carolina University. Wow. In addition to the education bug, though, you caught another bug at a young age, and that is politics. You were the youngest serving mayor of your town. Can you tell us a little bit about how this 29-year-old Don Davis decides he's running for mayor? And tell us a little bit about the town. Oh, Snow Hill. Snow Hill. Now, I was born in downtown Snow Hill. Okay. So you don't get that today. And those in Greene County, we know this. Right. Everybody now goes over the, to Pitt County. Right. So, But I was kind of in that last group born in downtown Snow Hill. And I to have the opportunity to come back to Eastern North Carolina, to come back to your hometown, to run for office, and for the people in your hometown community to see something in you enough to support you, to vote for you. Yeah. Uh, That's just amazing. It's an incredible experience. And, and at um, such a young age, right? You're 29 years old. That's right. That's yeah. right. So we, we came back. Um, I remember it just like it was today. I was still wearing my Air Force uniform. Mm-hmm. And it was August the 4th. And I took off my uniform and announced, and it was the last day of filing wow. that I was running for mayor. So I literally timed out the last day of military service with the last day of the filing period and file for office and the theme was just simple and I went to the residence because what made it an awesome experience for me is and, and why I even wanted to run for the office having grown up in Snow Hill I came back and it appeared at many of the roads some of those potholes were in the same places mm-hmm. it seemed like there just had not been much progress and, and that's often the story unfortunately mm-hmm. with a lot of the communities and these smaller rural communities across eastern north carolina and i said to myself you can either complain and that's easy to do yeah, yeah. or you can roll up your sleeves and at least offer yourself to go to work yeah. we captured 63 percent of the votes wow. um, ran against a 10-year incumbent at that it time. It was an incumbent. Mm-hmm. Wow. And um, just an awesome person, too, I must admit. Uh, <laughs> I actually, you know, we got to know each other extremely well. 
And I, I kind of start feeling bad, you know, for running against him. And right. I mean, he went on to support me, um, you know, getting out the vote and even financially. Um, and you know, he's gone on now. Um, okay. I served seven, a little over seven years. And John Carr was serving, uh, representing us um, in the Senate. Mm-hmm. <laughs> Y'all remember Big John? I remember Big John. Big John. Yeah. Senate yeah. finance chair, yeah. yeah. <laughs> Remember Senator Carr? Yes. Recently died of he, a couple. Of years he ago. certainly did. He yeah, surely yeah, did. Yeah. yeah. And um, but he announced his um, retirement, come to Senate, and it was an open field of seven, and many encouraged me then to get into the race, and um, we went through a very competitive field of candidates, um, and um, we made it to the, the runoff. And then we faced off, and I want I'm to I'm share this story, too, because um, I ran against Senator Lewis Pate. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And... Um, a couple for, times, right? There we go. You, you know where I'm heading. <laughs> former Representative Pate, former yeah. Senator there Pate. There you go. I paid Mayor, for th- Air Force. I mean, the backgrounds almost seem so parallel. I'm Lewis Pate. I paid for this ice cream, <laughs> Lewis Pate. <laughs> Yeah, that Lewis Pate. Actually, now, Lewis, I don't know if he's listening. <laughs> but those grandchildren, they were so adorable, they weren't were, they? They were. That was I'm, a- I'm sitting, I'm going to tell the truth, okay? So my kids are looking at the ad, and they're like, and, and, and we would later see each other at um, parades and stuff. This uh-huh. was when the districts were re- redrawn, and we yeah. were both serving. And they're like, um, going up, these are my kids going up to Senator Pate saying, can you get me some ice cream? <laughs> <laughs> that true, was, told a true story. <laughs> that would have been the next ad Jim Blaine ran for know, Lewis right? Pate. <laughs> uh, but I tell you, um, not many of us are fortunate enough um, to actually to go on to serve with those we've run against, so to speak. And um, I won the first race. He won the second race. Then we were split. Mm-hmm. <laughs> split. Um, the districts were redrawn, and both of us came. Mm-hmm. And one thing that was important to both of us was making sure because then uh, we split counties. We split Wayne, Lenore, and Pitt. Mm-hmm. The only single county I had was um, Green, mm-hmm. and we just made a commitment to each other that you know we have to work together for the greater good of our constituents and uh, you know i went on to get to know senator pate uh, first class first rate gentleman Mm -hmm. very kind person um and his wife just you know we we don't always get to really know those that we may have been in races against and I can say it was, it's been indeed an honor and a privilege to see him. And I continue to just, you know, keep him uplifted. Um, just an awesome person to serve. Let's talk about your, the way you approach legislating, because the kind words you say about Senator Pate, um, even your former opponent for mayor, you are known for working across the aisle in the Senate. And I know that's got to be challenging at times because there's pressure to, to not work across the aisle sometimes. And then, uh, but you want to get things done for your district. Can you share with our listeners just your political philosophy of how you approach this with 
all of these external forces. Absolutely. And sometimes I'm, you know, I'll say, I'm getting it from the left, I'm getting it from the right, I'm getting it from every, every, everywhere, every corner. Um, it's easy to complain. There you go. There you go. <laughs> um, I'm going to bring this back, this part of the conversation back to Grandma. Okay. Because Grandma taught us two things that always resonate with me. She would tell us, you're not better than anyone. And then the other thing she would say, and everybody is somebody. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. When I think about that, that brings me to this notion, we're here, I must believe, because we have a desire to serve. So we may have differences on how we believe we want to get there. And what I try and I hope, if anything I'm known for in this environment, is trying to see where we can connect those dots, the dots, the nexus to help with policy. And for me, that often starts by saying, okay, how can I put myself then in the other person's shoes and really understand what their interests mm -hmm. may be? Mm -hmm. um, obviously, I understand my core values. And one thing, when you try to negotiate and come to agreement, um, you don't negotiate on your core beliefs and values. But what is important to me is really trying to dig in, peel back the layers, and understand what's the ultimate interest. Mm -hmm. And if we can get to a place that we can ultimately both achieve part of our interest, that, that core interest. Mm -hmm. You know, for me, um, it's important to have a relationship with the members of my caucus. It's um, important to have a relationship with, um, you know, the Republicans in our chamber, mm -hmm. um, as well as all of the House members. Yeah. And, and I think as you really work to build those relationships and get to understand each other as we get to understand each other better, mm -hmm. then we're able to um, tackle um, policy. It's got to be hard, though, right? I mean, it'd be so easy if you went down there and just voted no on everything. And just on, on you know, conversely, it'd be just as easy on the other side to always vote yes. It's hard being in the middle, right? Well, it's, it takes time because <laughs> what you're... It, it takes the effort to listen. Yeah. Mm -hmm. And, okay, so I work, and I'm listening. Now I'm going back. Um, depending on the issue, I mean, you're really trying to work with stakeholders that may have interest. You know, some issues, I've worked with as many on certain bills or so, there may be 30-some stakeholders, mm -hmm. you know, of different parts. And, and you're just trying to now get it to a place that we can live with. So um, I must admit, it takes more time mm -hmm. than just pressing the button. Mm -hmm. um, but that's what I do believe in the end we were sent here to, to do. As far as tough issues go, our political realm right now is incredibly polarized. You must know that. And we know that about you that folks have attacked you from each side. So if you could fix one thing in our politics today to kind of lower that temperature, what would it be? 
Well, the first thing, can you take all those knives out? <laughs> <laughs> they build character, I hear. Yeah, they do. Yeah. Mm. Now, is this the... Magic the, wand. This is the magic <laughs> wand. Yes. Listener note, his eyes are closed. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> For real. <laughs> so, I'm from eastern North Carolina, and I get the magic wand. What would I do in polarizing times this is what i would do and this is what i try to model i would have everyone to wave their hands and say hello to each other and keep a smile on their face yeah mm. it reminds me so much growing up in eastern north carolina where if you're sitting outside and a car was driving by they will honk your horn and you throw the hand up and you mm -hmm. wave and you yeah. give them a smile. Someone could be walking on the side of the road and watch this. The car is coming from behind. They throw the hand up from behind. That's the Eastern North Carolina way. Yeah. Mm -hmm. That's about kindness, greeting each other. Take the time to talk and to say hello and to continue to enhance our relationships. Now... I think we, I think there's something to that. I think so. And this is what Grandma would say too. It pays to be kind. Sure does. You can track um, flies better with honey than with vinegar. That is so and true. I, um, that's my story, my Eastern North Carolina story, and I'm sticking to it. <laughs> Good it is great. Well, Senator Don Davis, we appreciate everything you do for your district, everything you do for the state of North Carolina. You, sir, certainly know how to do politics better. Thank you for being on the podcast. It's been an honor to actually come and see the Taj Mahal of podcasts. <laughs> <laughs> the first and only person who has ever said that. That's so good. Good. Thank you, Senator. All right. All right. <laughs> What an impressive resume that he has. And mm -hmm. he is 49 years old, as we know, about to be 50, and has done all of these things in his life. It's kind of hard to comprehend. I don't know if legislators and lobbyists realize this. He's been around for quite some time. He's actually one of the more veteran legislators down there, even at the age of 49. He is certainly a swing vote. He has voted with the Republicans, much to the frustration of his caucus, but has managed to just maintain relationships both sides of the aisle, both chambers. Yesterday, we saw him hanging out in House Rules as Senator Britt, as you mentioned earlier, was presenting his bill. Senator Davis has got a legislator running an amendment for him in that committee. And a Republican legislator. A Republican at that. We saw some reports from Carolina Journal, I think, after Jim Blaine and Ray Martin had put out some information about redistricting. Like we said, we're not in those meetings. We have no outside knowledge. We're just reading the reports. It has been the talk at the General Assembly this week. So these groupings that have come out of redistricting have Senator Ralph Heiss and maybe Senator Deanna Ballard double bunk. There's talk that Senator Dave Craven could be in the same Senate district as Senator Tom McKinnis, or it's even mentioned it could be in the same district as Senator Amy Gailey. And that's 
along that Randolph County, Sand Hills, Alamance County area. And then you go up east, the Outer Banks, down the Crystal Coast, you could have Senator Norm Sanderson double bunked with Senator Bob Steinberg. It is an interesting development. The narrative is that legislators can just draw these districts any way they want. But the way Jim Blaine and Ray Martin presented the data, and then it was kind of translated even some more by Dallas Woodhouse over at Civitas, it really sounds like this could happen. It does. We haven't heard anyone refute that. It does make for some interesting theater down at the General Assembly. We'll see how this plays out, if there is a remedy for this. But the Senate certainly seems to be in a position where friends may turn into enemies. It does not seem to be the case over on the House side. The House seems to be poised to be in a good position if you're a Republican. They could gain seats, could even gain a supermajority. I don't think that anybody will be shocked if the Republicans gained a supermajority yeah. over on the House side, even without new districts. Yeah. We appreciate Jim and Ray's analysis and helps explain what's going on. All right. Time for Tweet of the Week. <laughs> tweet of the Week. All right. So for our Tweet of the Week this week, we're going to change it to Tweets of the week and we are looking at the ongoing twitter fights between brent woodcox and travis fane oh i'm so glad they're back they're so entertaining (laughs) so entertaining we love following both of these guys brent woodcox just has such an interesting insight not only as his role as a a Senate staffer, he is an attorney over on the Senate side. Travis Fain covers North Carolina General Assembly for WREL. And sometimes they cross paths on Twitter and they just go to it and it's entertaining and it's fun and you you just can't wait for the next tweet. Right. It's sort of one of those grab the popcorn situations but I'll, I'll just read one tweet from Travis and one from Brent. How's that? That sounds fair. So this was about a story that Travis had put out about a fundraiser that included, I think, some Republicans on both the House and the Senate side. And Brent had commented that this happens all the time with both parties and that Travis didn't cover that. And so then Travis was trying to refute that by saying, I have covered this. And Brent was saying the language is different. Travis's tweet says, the fact that you think these tweets are much different or that you've done an exhaustive search makes me want to watch you try a case before a judge. Again, Brent, attorney. The tweet I'll read from Brent says, is that some kind of silly you're only a real lawyer if you're not like the ones I watch on TV insult? If there's one thing I'm extremely good at and much better than most trial lawyers, it's making an argument, especially political ones. (laughs) (laughs) So good. It is good. I've been thinking about these tweets because they've been quiet for about a month or so probably longer than that yeah so they they've gotten the band back together and we're seeing these exchanges and we love them and so i am making this offer right here on the podcast we need a travis and brent (laughs) podcast and they come on we will produce it right here in our office at new frame i think it would be the entertainment we need in north carolina politics so brent woodcox travis fain give us a call 
we'll produce your podcast. If we're not producing, of course, I saw Danny Britt. (laughs) (laughs) Tell the listeners about your kickball team. There's nothing really to tell. I think kickball team really kind of tells it all. Yeah. So you guys have a doubleheader tonight? Yeah, the game last week was canceled, so we're back-to-back tonight. So you're you're on this team with a few staffers at the General Assembly looking at you, Carl, <laughs> third baseman. <laughs> Not our pitcher, that's for sure. Yeah, poor Carl. He gets pulled off the mound because he can't pitch very fast. I mean, barely moving. You've never seen a ball roll slower than Carl pitching. So Carl Gilmore works for Representative Kelly Hastings, and apparently uh, he was pitching, and Sky had to visit the mound. I didn't have to visit the mound. <laughs> and take the ball from him. <laughs> That's and, not true. And put him back that over. That is not true. Yeah, well, I wish you guys a lot of luck tonight. I hope you come back with two wins, and uh, you'll have to give us a recap next week of how it goes. Thanks. It has been a action-packed Wednesday week. We have more budget deliberations coming up over the next two weeks. Buckle up, hang on. We hope you take the time to rate and review and leave a comment and share this podcast on your social media. Tell your friends and your enemies to tune in every week help us find listeners we hope you have a relaxing weekend play some kickball and you have a great week next week and remember to do politics better that was the longest run-on sentence ever and do this and do that and blah 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 and and oh yeah